the priority of the year while I've been up in the pulpit anyways, um, really helping us to understand how our soul is challenged by the things that God says because they are so out there, they're so contrary to what we believe, they seem so impossible, they, say, they seem like they're fairy tales. Um, and so our soul, especially an adult soul, really doesn't handle information like that very well. Uh, it typically, you know, if I told you that you could fly to the moon, you'd go, oh, praise the Lord, but we wouldn't pay any attention to it because your soul would reject it as something that's just impossible. And so the same thing would be if I told you you could walk on water or told you that you could live abundantly and never worry about money ever again, that you could live to be 120 years old and then some if you're not satisfied. If I, could told you, if I told you you could have a happy marriage, you know, God forbid, you'd think all of those things perhaps are impossible. And they're just going to go, yeah, yeah, that's cool for Sunday. Thanks for the, the, the pep talk, but it's not really real. That's how your soul does it. It kind of treats it like if I were to do a magic trick for you, most of you would realize it's just a trick. You can't make a quarter disappear like that and come out of a child's ear. That's a trick. And so what happens in our soul is that, and we've talked about this from the beginning of the year now, is going through systematically so that we are empowered that once we get to today, or really this season, of crossing over the Jewish New Year is just kind of like the way God has said, now for the rest of the year, we're going to be dealing with the blessing of Abraham. We're going to be talking about how do you, what is the information? How do you understand what the blessing of Abraham actually is? Not so that you could come up here to the pulpit and teach it, but so that you could have it manifested in real life in a dependable, confident way in your life. Without, I'll make this contention, without the blessing of Abraham operating in your life, you remain a mere human being. Even though you have Jesus in your life, even though you have three or four or 30 or 40 Bibles in your home, you still are going to look and feel and act and perceive like a normal human being does. It is the blessing of Abraham upon your life, as this is what we'll discover. I'll make some of these assertions to you, that as you begin to discover what God's intention was when he pronounced the blessing on Adam, and then after the flood on Noah, which was the same and sort of just came it more verbiage, but it's generally the same concept, and then expanded it into sort of like the amplified version when he gave it to Abraham. And as we study that, we're going to realize, if you're in Galatians chapter 3, that, that the intention of God has always been to empower human beings with this thing called the blessing. Yes. So that your cravings, the things that drive the self-nature in our lives, maybe I could back up. A lot of Christianity over thousands of years has really been focused on this thing called dying to self. How many of you have heard that terminology before? How many of you would like to die? And so the problem is, is that nobody wants to die. Everybody wants to live. And so the concept of dying to self is, uh, is an anathema to us as human beings. And we reject it. As soon as we hear that concept, we reject it. 
The reason that we reject it is because that wasn't God's intention. If we take a look at the, the, the reason self exists, self exists, the ego, this part about my life that I have seized control of and I want to look like I'm this strong man on the outside, tough and able and confident and successful and all of these type of things, really because I feel so weak, vulnerable, and unlovable on the inside. That's why I have to project this ego persona and it takes 99% of my battery power in order to keep all the bulbs flashing on this thing called ego so that you can all be very impressed with me. Reason being, if you knew the real me, you wouldn't be impressed at all. And so what happens to us then is that we have to discover that the blessing of Abraham does is it deals with the reason we would need this thing called ego or self or flesh or carnality or worldly wisdom. All of the Bibles talks about the same things. Why would we even need that sucker in the first place? The bless, what happens is, is that that, that ego, that, create, that creature that we invent as we go through our formative years, because after our sin, we recognize how weak and vulnerable and alone and unlovable and all these type of things are, how much we are those things, we invent this guy called the creature. Right. Well, it just stands to reason that if we were not weak, not vulnerable, that we were lovable, that we were a success going somewhere to happen, that we have nothing to be afraid of, we have nothing that's gonna hurt us, we have nothing that's gonna come in our way, that every obstacle between me and my destiny is absolutely overcomable, not because I'm so great, but because I'm with somebody who is so great. If we understood those things, so if I knew God was gonna meet every financial need in my life, I would no longer need the creature to manipulate my world in order to make sure my financial needs are met. If I understood that nothing you could do hurt me, that you could spit in my face or slap my uh, you know, dog, you could do whatever you wanted to do, and it just would not hurt me. If I knew that, I would not need to have walls and fortresses built around me in order to protect myself from all the nasty human beings that I come in contact with. And if I realized that I was lovable not because of what I do, but because of who I am, if I really knew that, you were, that my relationship with you, my responsibility in my relationship was to love you, whether you love me back doesn't really matter because my battery, my love battery is being charged because I know the guy who knows me best loves me most. What if I knew that? What if not just knew that like, ooh, way to go pastor and love the, no, knew it, yeah. knew it. What would happen was, is that self, the creature, would die. He wouldn't die because I went hunting for it and shot him in the head, although we can certainly do that around here. It would die because of malnutrition. It would get no sunlight. We would never plug its batteries in. And so eventually, it would be dormant in the corner. We just wouldn't need it anymore. It would be the guy I used to be. Or as Pastor Alex said the other day, it would be the old guy. Do you see how this works? The blessing of Abraham then is an essential component. It's not just, well, we go to a word of faith church, so we want to get blessed. No. In order to live the New Testament experience, 
we can decide that we are going to flog ourselves to death until this self-issue is dealt with, or we just replace the need for self with what is the true New Testament experience, which is the blessing of God, the revelation, the true inner awareness, profound level revelation that what God said is actually true. And when we believe that, all of a sudden, our perspective, we've talked about all this for the year, our perspective of the world around us completely changes. I am no longer working across purposes to a world that hates me and is trying to destroy me. Now I know that God created this creation, that it was created with the purpose of aligning itself with humankind, that our specific creation, our specific species is designed in such a way that we can, like the mouse and the keyboard, that we can control what goes on the monitor. Our ability as human beings determines what our world looks like. And God created us in such a way and created creation in such a way that if we get the manual and we use it properly, that we can live a life that is in alignment with a good creation. Is that, are you okay with that? Yeah. Living in the blessing of Abraham is an essential part of what it means to be a New Testament person. Otherwise, we are loving Jesus, carrying a Bible, and still trying to selfishly take advantage of everything going on in the world, hiding ourselves in our basement behind our security systems, and making sure that we have lots of credentials and badges and titles and all these things to make sure people at least, at least respect and esteem us, even if they don't love us, we'll spend our whole life energy doing that. And it will all amount, at the end of the day, to a big, huge pile of absolutely nothing. It will burn up on the way through the pearly gates, and you'll have nothing to show for your entire life. How's that sound? <laughs> and so when we look at the blessing of Abraham's, don't look at it as though I'm selfishly looking for, to, to pile upon myself and become the richest man in the East, just like Abraham was. I'm totally good if you become the richest man on every point on the compass. But that's not the point. The point of the matter is, can I get abundance or money or resources off your mind? so that you no longer think about your personal needs and desires and you're towed around, whether you're a, a dollar heir or a billion heir, you're towed around by all of these selfish desires for the money and you can just get that off your mind, let that part of your being die and then go to God and say, okay, God, I'm believing for billions and the wisdom of what to do with it. And I'm quite sure that, the, that, that God is not gonna tell you to go from three meals a day to 740 meals a day when you become a wealthy person. Are we all okay with this so far? Are you in Galatians chapter three? So we look here in verse 13, that Christ has redeemed us. How many say, yes, Christ has redeemed us. Look at verse 14, what from? No, and verse 14, sorry. That the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles. Christ redeemed us so that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles. Anybody in here a Gentile? Right? Anybody, well, you might, some of you might be Jews or 
you know, Jews have been all around the world, so you could be a Jew and don't even know it. But the purpose, what Jesus was doing, he redeemed us not so that we could go to heaven when we die, although you are certainly going to go to heaven when you die. He redeemed us so that we could live on this planet with the blessing of Abraham flowing through our lives. And so when we realize that, we sort of we part the waters a little bit to understand the nature of our journey in the New Testament must include a, a, a journey through the transition that is created in our lives because of the blessing of getting the blessing of Abraham operating in, in our life. Don't just jump over to the book of Revelation uh, the day after you get saved. The issue is that we have a real journey in the meantime. The real journey is to get the blessing of Abraham operating in our lives. The problem is this, though. Um, when we understand the blessing of Abraham, we know we're wandering way back in our Bibles. And there's so much that has happened in our world where uh, misunderstandings and the need to differentiate Christianity from other religions that we have sort of said, well, the Old Testament is really for the Jewish religion. We'll wander around there a wee bit because I think it was the book that Jesus read. But I think we need to focus more on the New Testament. And that's what kind of happened in the early seasons of the church is we kind of went along and divided away. Uh, the, the, the Jewish people took the Old Testament and we took the New Testament. The problem with that is that that's not how the history of uh, the church, the New Testament, especially the early church, it was not how it actually happened. Our experience with it is that it is that way now. And so it must have been like that all the time, and that's not actually true. And in the teachings that most of us, if you've been around a, a while at all in Christianity, you will have heard things like the, the Old Testament is fulfilled. We don't really have to worry about that anymore. It's already, somebody's already filled in all the blanks for us, and so there's really nothing back there at all, uh, other than a bunch of great stories, and you know, at least you'll know who Goliath is and Noah is, and you know, you'll maybe understand a few cool stories so that you don't look like a dork when you come to church, and so you ought to read that stuff. But there isn't a lot back there that you're gonna be able to glean from. Problem, obviously, being we are being shut off as a New Testament body from the roots, the river that has been flowing, the blessing of Abraham, which is the blessing of Noah, which is the blessing of Adam. That river of blessing has been flowing through humanity all along. I'm not really as interested in building my own little creek in my backyard as I am interested in jumping into a river that's been flowing since the creation of humankind. And that was God's intention. As a matter of fact, even Paul refers to this when he's talking about us being grafted in to the olive tree. He's referring to the fact that certainly there were some branches that were cut off. They were cut off because they chose not to believe. They had the law, they had the rules, but they chose not to believe. And so they were cut off. And those of us who chose to believe were grafted in. And the point of it was, is that we were grafted in to a root system 
that has been flowing, that has been growing for a long period of time. It wasn't that we were starting with our own little New Testament sapling and trying to grow our own forest, which is how it happened in the history of the church. And now we are thousands of years later thinking that it's supposed to have been like this when it was never supposed to be like this. In fact, as you're going to discover as we talk today, we're going to go through a little bit of church history. So make sure you're sitting beside somebody that'll nudge you when you start tipping over. But the information is super important to us. I have to be able to disconnect this, we don't really care about the Old Testament that much kind of doctrine that has floated through the New Testament for now thousands of years. Instead, what we should be understanding is, is that this is the root system from which we grow. And I'm not looking for starting with a sapling here, not even in my own life today, as we all grab onto this and say, where are we going to go from here? I want to be in a, I want to be in a vine. I want to be in a root system that is going to fill me up with all the life-giving power that I need in order to release the blessing in my life. I'm not looking for the trickle, the little tiny little drip, drip, drip. I'm looking for that sucker, that dam to pull down and it to flow into every one of your lives. The way you do that is to realize I can grab onto a faith system, a principle that has been the, I know it sounds like crazy, it has been the point of everything God has been doing since he created humankind. He's been desiring to get the blessing of God flowing through your life. And he's been telling us how to do it from the very beginning. Okay, go to 2 Timothy chapter three, because we have to deal with a particular word. We might not get very far today. I've only got 10 minutes left, and I, I'll try not to keep you late. There wasn't a whole lot of commitment in that statement, but. Okay, so here is, um, where's 2 Timothy? What did I just tell you? 2 Timothy chapter three, and I want to read something to you. And go to verse 14. Are you in your Bible? Please take notes because you're going to need to defend this. Most people in modern Christianity disagree with what I am about to tell you. Okay? But history does not. And that's why I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk with you about it. Listen to what Paul. Now, Paul is, is the most prolific writer in the New Testament. Uh, writing to his son or his, uh, his successor, Timothy. And he says this in verse 14. But continue you in the things which you have learned and have been assured of, knowing of whom you have learned them, and that from a child you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise unto salvation through faith which is in Jesus Christ. Verse 16, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instructions in righteousness. Verse 17, that the man of God, the human of God, may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. That kind of sounds at the end there like the blessing of Abraham is operating in their life, right? Go to verse 15. We're going to zero in on something here that from a child you have known the holy scriptures and that these scriptures are profitable. 
they're good for you, and they produce a whole bunch of great things in your life. The problem being that you would probably think as a New Testament person that there are two sets of scriptures. One is the Old Testament scriptures, and two is the New Testament scriptures. The problem is that's not what Paul was talking about here. When Paul was talking to Timothy about the things that you learned when you were a child, he's talking about the Old Testament. How do you know that? Well, I know that because Paul is in the middle of writing the New Testament as he's writing the book to Timothy. And so, number one, the New Testament didn't exist yet. That's obvious because he's writing it. And all of the writings of the New Testament were written between about 50 AD and 100 AD. So now Jesus was, was crucified in, let's say, 30. I know there's a debate about the year he was born or whatever. Let's go 30 to make the math easy for us. Then it took 20 years even before any of the epistles start to be, to be written. The other problem is that the writers of the epistles, that word epistles is a church word, it means an email in modern language. And so what these guys were doing when they were writing their emails to their buddies in other places that they were not in anymore, they were writing the letters to try and help them out with some of the cool stuff that had been happening uh, because of their uh, experience in the New Testament, and they were writing about all this stuff in order to help out the other churches that were going on now all over the place. These guys did not wake up in the morning and say, do you know what I'd like to do today? I'd like to write some inspired scripture. So that, that's not what they did. Paul, Peter, James, John, uh, Jude, all of these people were writing letters, emails. They lived and died not knowing that, they, that these letters were going to become scripture. And what does that mean? That means when we see the word scripture or as it was written or as the prophets said, or according to the law. All of these terminologies that we see written in the New Testament by the New Testament writers, we're not talking about what we now know as stuff that's written down in our Bible. They were talking about the Old Testament scriptures. How many of you saw the Da Vinci Code? Does anybody remember that from 03 or whatever it was? The author of the Da Vinci Code tells us that at the Council of Nicaea, or we call it, or the Council, the, the Nicene Council, this was a bunch of the church leaders at the time who gathered together. The movie tells us, and now most of Christianity that cares about this subject now believe it because, of course, it's in the Da Vinci Code, that at this Council of Nicaea, uh, Nicaea, one of the things that they decided at this time 
Uh, they sort of like, uh, perhaps they put on special hats and they went through all the hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of letters and writings of the New Testament and they threw darts or whatever they did in order to pick which ones were going to go into your Bible. That was Dan Brown's version. History is very different. There was never, ever in the time of the New Testament a council or group of people who selected which books were going to go in your New Testament and which ones weren't. That never happened. The Council of Nicaea was more focused on the nature of Jesus Christ. Was he God? Was he man? Who was he? Was he flesh? Was he spirit? All of these kind of what they called Christological questions that were existed at the time. Trying to make a definition of what do us as Christians believe Jesus is or was when he was here. That's what the council was, for the most part, that's what it was about. They picked the date for Easter and stuff like that too. But the main stuff they did was this issue of who was Jesus. So most of us don't realize, and, and, and uh, BTW, the, the Nicene Council was in 325. It was commissioned by Constantine, who had become the new Roman ruler, as he was realizing there was, as a political guy, there we're always into, you know, let's make it clear to everybody. I'm not saying it's good or bad, like we do with Connect. Let's make it clear for everybody to know who we are, where we're going. Let's get this organized. That begs the question, right? What did they do for 200 years, 300 years, without any instruction, without any rules, without any New Testament, without any books, without any uh, d uh, newly written, divine-inspired words of God. What are we going to do? Can I tell you what they did? They used the Old Testament. All the writings, how did, and how, it begs the question, another question. How did the New Testament come to be the New Testament? Who decided? How do we know it's right? As if man has ever done anything that we would know was right. What happened was, is that in the season of the New Testament, the, the, the early church was, was led by the apostles, people who were, apart from Paul now, who were in close proximity to Jesus when he was here on this earth. For example, James, the, book, the guy who wrote the book of James, was Jesus's half-brother. He knew him pretty good. Other people were disciples of his. Matthew, for example, was a disciple of his. Paul was a disciple of Peter. Peter was the one who was given the assignment to take the gospel to the Gentiles. Remember the sheet coming down and eat these things and all, remember that? And Paul was submitted completely to Peter and Peter guided, mentored Paul. So there's a direct lineage that's right there. And so what happened was, is that the actual thinking people, sentient beings who were desiring to live the New Testament life, automatically gravitated to those people who, were, uh, who would be in a position to actually know stuff. And so when there were all kinds of other writings, as Paul refers to, even in his time, he was writing mostly between 50 AD and let's say 70 AD when he died, I, I'm, Obviously, he stopped writing at that point. 
just in that period right there, he was already referring to uh, false teachers, people who had written letters that were signed Paul, but he didn't write them at all. He was already talking about all this craziness that was already starting to happen. But what happened was, is that because there, were, there was an there was a, uh, intrinsic ability for these people to recognize that the New Testament was an outcropping of the Old Testament, when there would be new teachings, like for example, this thing called Gnosticism. Gnosticism was a very popular teaching in that time, but it taught things like the earth is bad, uh, let's go back to the beginning of Gnosticism. There was one supreme God. He got super busy, decided that the Bahamas had better weather. So what he did is he assigned a whole bunch of sub-gods to look after all of creation, all, of, all the dimensions of God. One of those guys, uh, in rebellious act, created creation. So creation was bad. And creation, our natural flesh, was bad. And everything about this world was bad. And our real hope one day was to become super spiritual beings and all of these kind of things through knowledge, through understanding of the divine uh, search that I have to go and discover through my own ability and intellect, discover all the secrets and mysteries of God. That was Gnosticism. But... It does not align up with the Old Testament. Yeah. So the early church, now we've adopted most of that in the modern church, but they kicked that football far out of bounds because they'd said it did not line up with the Old Testament because the Bible says God created creation and it was good. You see, what they did was they had these guys who they knew were authoritative people. They knew the Old Testament, or as most of the New Testament writers did, they threw in there, Paul, in the book of Romans alone, has 105 references to the Old Testament. In all of his writings, I think it's 237 references to the Old Testament. The whole New Testament itself has 342 references to the, to the Old Testament. It goes through and says that you should follow the Ten Commandments. Remember the adultery thing? You want to make sure you don't do any of that adultery stuff? Well, that's just referring, saying that we still obey that rule. Right. Say, wives, say to your husband, we still obey that rule. <laughs> it's talking about Genesis when it's referring to the blessing of Abraham and how the blessing of Abraham is still a current active work in the New Testament. It talks about Psalms. It talks about uh, uh, Jose, but Paul, uh, Peter, when he's doing his big thing in the beginning of the book of Acts, he's quoting the book of Hosea. Yeah. Isaiah is, is, is repeatedly quoted by Jesus, seeing you don't perceive, hearing you don't understand. We've mentioned that a few times around here. That's Isaiah chapter six. Certainly Jesus said it in Matthew, Luke, Mark, but then it's repeated again in the book of Acts. What's that telling us? None of this stuff has changed. Nothing ever went away. As a matter of fact, it didn't just go away. It just got some nuclear power to it when it comes into the New Testament. What does that tell us? We're in the New Testament now. We have so much stuff that we have access to, but we ignore 66% of God. And we ignore the stuff that created the foundation and the root 
of what we're actually seeking for, which is a New Testament church that just looks a little bit like the first couple pages of the book of Acts. Not realizing that the first, the, the book of Acts, all the stuff that we know happened as this revival that started off with these, you know, a couple dozen people in Jerusalem and spread around the known world to such a degree that nothing has affected modern times. Today's day, nothing has affected it more than the revelation and the flow of the New Testament in the earth today. But most of it, started getting lost after a hundred years. And we need to realize the, the, the greatness of this season did, came from them embracing the Old Testament, but in a New Testament way. What about the scripture that says that, the, that uh, Christ has redeemed us from the law. How many of you remember that scripture? Well, there's no such scripture. Because we say there is a scripture that says that, but there is no scripture that says that. It says that Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. That's very different. If somebody has prevented you from receiving the curse of Ian, does not mean that you don't, get, don't still have an opportunity to get to know me. As a matter of fact, do you realize you get to know me better? Because you used to think I was going to slug you, the curse of Ian. But now they've tied my hands, my hands behind my back, so now you feel like you can come as close as possible. Best I can do is sneer at you now. Do you understand? What Jesus took away, which is at Galatians chapter 3, he took away the curse attached to the law. He took away the power that doing, being forced to do what you don't understand, being forced into uh, uh, actions or duties or responsibilities that do not line up with what you believe you should be doing at that moment, creates an enormous amount of dissonance on the inside of a human being. What we do is, is that we try to push away from it if we feel like it's being domineering. As well, I mean, let me give you an example. Don't think about a white elephant for a moment, if you could. You see what just happened there? Universally, throughout the room. You probably weren't thinking about a white elephant until I mentioned the white elephant. Is that true? What happens, that you, uh, and we've talked about this way the soul works that when your soul becomes preoccupied with something, it actually begins to embrace the thing that it has become preoccupied by. When I tell you you're not allowed to have coffee after service, wow. Now we can't focus anymore because I really want a coffee now after service. I didn't actually want one before, but now that you've mentioned I cannot have one, now I really want one. Now, you know how Adam felt in the garden when God said you can eat of any tree in the garden except the apple. Which one did he focus on? <laughs> See, there's a power to that. What if I don't want the apple? And you can have the apple if you want, but it's not going to be any good for you. It's going to give you diarrhea <laughs> at best. 
And you understand that because three people took one and they all ran after they ate. So now you have some understanding of why I wouldn't want that. How many of you have decided, you know, I'd like to eat arsenic. I'd like to inject myself with some cat pee. Anybody had that thought ever? See, nobody does that. When you have a little bit of understanding, uh, what have I taken away? I took away the desire for it. I took away the emptiness. And all of a sudden, I was fixated on that thing, thinking it was the only thing. I'm not happy right now. I can have everything. Why am I not happy? It must be because I can't have the cat pee. That's not the way it is. But that's the way we think it is. Then we shoot the cat pee into our veins. And then what happens? Now we feel guilty. We feel ashamed because I feel sick, but I can't tell you why I'm sick because you'll laugh at me because you told me not to shoot the cat pee into my veins, but I did it anyway. So now I used to be able to come to you and get some help. I can't come to you to get help anymore because I'm ashamed. Instead of going to God to get the answer, we run away from God. Can anybody see how that may produce a curse? In your life, if you start off pretty close to God and every time you make a mistake because of the forbidden fruit that you see or because of the rebellion that is in the heart of a human being, naturally in the heart of a human being, by the way, because you were designed to be a a, a sovereign being. You were not designed to be controlled. And then when somebody tries to control you, the natural tendency, obviously, try to tie a dog down, see how he does with it. There's a natural tendency to break away from domineering things like religion. That's the curse. And so Jesus says, you must eat this ice cream. And you go, I will not. (laughs) The curse. Jesus came to redeem us from the curse of the law. Not to take something that God said and treat it as evil. Paul would say, God forbid. As treat it as though it has become empty, void, powerless, vain, meaningless. Paul again would say, God forbid. That would ever ever happen not in this world or the next will anything god has ever said become meaningless not ever turn with me to romans chapter 3 and i'll close here am i over time is that what all those zeros mean (laughs) i I get confused as to what that means romans (laughs) that's a lie sorry okay I'm a preacher. I'm not supposed to lie. They have rules about this thing. Okay, Romans chapter 3 and verse 31. I'm gonna, I'm, I don't have it in my notes here, so let me just, I've just got the reference. Let me go to it myself. Okay. Uh, do we then, verse 31, do we then make void the law through faith? What's his answer? I like God forbid better. Certainly not as kind of less aggressive. I like God forbid that we would ever, ever, ever take anything God says and even diminish its importance. Never mind, make it void. 
Listen to what he says. Yea, we establish the law. What does that word establish mean? That word establish is the word histami or histimi or something like that. I like histami better. It kind of goes better in the English language. The word histami means we make it, I'm, gonna, I'm actually going to read you all the things. I have this great ability. If you don't have this ability, you should get this app. I'm going to go into the concordance, and I'm going to read you what it means to, for this word histami. It means to cause or to make to stand, to place, put, or set, to make firm, to fix, to establish, to set or place in a balance to stand, to continue safe and sound, to stand unharmed, and to stand ready or prepared. Does that sound like we should throw it away? Does it seem like we should rip out the first two halves, two-thirds of the New Testament and give them to another group of people? It doesn't say that at all. It says, just like the experience of those early Christians, what they did with the word of God is that they applied to the Old Testament this thing called faith. Faith, the word pistis, means that you believe it. It was no longer a, a relationship with the Old Testament that just said, I'm going to blindly follow all the rules and regulations because there is no possibility that I'm ever going to understand what God was talking about and why he was telling us to do it. Now we come to the New Testament, which you see in the references of the Old Testament brought into the New Testament, where we unpack the Old Testament and start to understand why would God be giving those instructions? If his instruction is always life-giving and it has always got the intention of creating the pillars that become the structure of the culture, the lifestyle, the environment in which humans can live in a life-giving way, one with another, and in a blessing-filled way in Zehelu with creation in order for creation to be uh, 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 removing any of the fears that that human being would have. Of course, he wouldn't have any, but if, if any even tried to come, they would have no power against him. And then because there is no fear, then the manifestation of that abundance, that safety, that protection, that whatever it would be on and on and on and on and on as we go through the actual verbiage of the blessing of Abraham, we'll discover that it is talking about every area, crevice and cranny of your life. Nothing in your life is left off that list. God intended that, your, that life as a human on this planet would be life-giving, which is selfless. Self is creatures gone. Remember the blessing of Abraham just fades them away. Now I care more about you than I care about myself. And we all care all about each other more than we care about ourselves. How many say there's a little bit of life-giving right there already? And because of that, the blessing, creation, we're in cooperation with it. And all of a sudden, it starts to work for us and not against us. 
Does anybody think this might be a bit of a, an interesting journey for the next couple of months to discover this? Put your hand over your heart and say this with me. Say, Lord, it is my intention to establish, to histamine the word of God, all the word of God, Old Testament and New Testament in my heart. I know you're not asking me to blindly follow a bunch of rules. You're asking me to give time and opportunity to the things that you have said in order for them to get into my heart. For me to have the sovereign human chance to choose to believe what God said. I know you have, from the beginning of time, been trying to get a revelation of the blessing of God. You gave it to Adam, you gave it to Noah, and you gave it to Abraham. And I know that through Christ, you've given it to me. All I need to do is allow it to transform my heart. So Holy Spirit, remove everything, every belief system from my life that's contrary to the blessing of Abraham. That's contrary to God's presence in my life and his willingness to partner with me to see my destiny fulfilled, to partner with me to see my life as life-giving and blessing-filled in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.